Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to still be alive and living in your plan for our lives in this uh, short opportunity we have to bring you glory before we are with you face to face. We ask that you keep us with this perspective that every day is a gift and every day is an opportunity to live for you, to be sanctified, to be set apart from the world and to uh, somehow bring you glory in our lives. Father, most of all, we're eternally grateful forever and ever for your precious son, Jesus Christ, that you did what you did, that you gave him up for us is beyond our comprehension. But we are eternally grateful that all our sins have been removed from us by his willing sacrifice at the cross. Help us never to be familiar with this father. It is for him that we live and breathe and move on in our lives and uh, help us more and more live for him and him alone. We ask that you bless this evening's message and guide us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. Undistracted Devotion to the Lord, part 20. So we're going to open with a open-ended question tonight. How are we sanctified? How are we sanctified? Besides it being a supernatural work of God, we don't know that part of the equation, but what can we glean from Holy Scripture about how or what the process is that we go through to be sanctified? There are probably many things. We probably could study that, that question for years. Um, the Lord does promise to sanctify his children. But the question is how or what does the process look like? And what are we to do along the journey? What's our responsibility to be sanctified in this process? Both parties are involved. For example, we know part of our sanctification is that we are transformed by living out the Great Commission. This came up months ago as an emphasis. Let me just repeat that again. We know part of our sanctification is that we're transformed by living out the Great Commission, by doing it, by stepping out by faith, for example, and doing something, meeting someone, whatever, in whatever way we're called to do individually. But we actually grow from doing and may we not become familiar with that truth in the Word of God. It's amazing how much we can learn and grow in His love by doing His commands. And there are some things we'll never learn unless we do His commands, unless we step out on faith. The very act of living out His commands to all of us uh, to reach out to the lost, that's all of our part of our command, the very act of doing that thing sanctifies us. Don't ask me exactly how on that one, right? Supernatural stuff happens when you step out by faith. 
But there's another concept in Holy Scripture that is clearly a major part, a major part of, or a way to sanctification. And I want you to see if you can pick up on it as we do a review of a recent emphasis from our last few lessons. See if you can pick up on it as we go through some scriptures on how or what, what another major way is to sanctification. So turn in your Bibles again to Colossians 3.14. Colossians 3.14. And, you know, hopefully you'll see the connection. I'm sure you will. In fact, I'll put it up on the board eventually. So you'll definitely get it. But just see if you see the running um, thread, if you will. Colossians 3.14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Do you see it yet? Let's look at another passage. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Now this passage was from Thursday night, which really struck me because there's similar language used in another passage we're going to go to, which basically tells us one way to sanctification or what this process looks like. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, part A only. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. It goes on to describe things that we should avoid if we want to be set apart for God. Now let's compare that verse with another familiar passage. But again, first notice, again in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now hold on to that thought and turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Turn the page. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I hope you see the trend and the repetition even. The will of God is our sanctification, right? We saw that in 4.3. And the will of God is that we give thanks in everything, in verse 18. And we also saw this mentioned several times in Colossians 3, about giving thanks as a, um, a way to growing. So on the board, just connecting the dots, this is what the Spirit hit me with on, I think it was Thursday evening. Uh, we live in the will of God when we are habitually thankful. We get out of the way and allow God to sanctify us. 
I mean, if you think about it, it's when we're not being thankful that we're getting in the way, right? We're, we're thinking about self. We're thinking about what we need or want to attain or what we don't have, we think about, right? Well, that's getting in the way. That's prideful, arrogant, uh, selfish, greedy, whatever is, you know, taking over our soul to let us think about what we don't have instead of what we do have. But when we think about what we do have, one of the things I love is when pastor will always say, um, thank God for the health you do have. We always complain about the, you know, the things that are bothering us health-wise. But when's the last time you thank God for the health you do have? So the things we take for granted, right? But again, on the board, we live in the will of God when we are habitually thankful. We get out of the way and allow God to sanctify us. 1 Thessalonians 4.3a and 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Because within thankfulness, if you think about it, is humility. Within thankfulness is humility. And we know when you're humble, God can bless you, right? We've seen that over and over and over. Well, the, the, the act of giving thanks is a humble act and a humble attitude. So gratitude, living in a lifestyle of thanksgiving, is clearly a big part of being sanctified according to the will of God. Without habitually giving thanks, we will miss out on many things in life, including his peace. And we will stunt our own spiritual journey, the will of God even, which is our sanctification, will get in the way. All from not being thankful. And talk about something else to be thankful for. Let's continue on in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Talk about something to be thankful for. We should be thanking God every day that he promises to sanctify us entirely by his faithfulness and power. So a simple prayer might be, thank you, Lord that you are doing this in me. I don't always feel it. I don't always see it. But your word says you are doing this good work in me. So thank you. You're doing this in me right now. You will do it in me, according to your word, because I can't do it. So thank you so much. A regular part of our prayer life, I, I believe, should be I can't do it. Should be the attitude of surrender. Uh, so many times we get in our own heads and we start with too many words to God and, and trying to figure out how we're going to do it. When maybe, you know, maybe all of our prayers should start with, I can't do it. You know, Lord, I come before you because I can't do it. But thank you that you're doing this in me and you're going to complete it. And isn't that exactly what any father wants of his children? That his child leans on him that heavily, trusts him that much and knows it doesn't depend on him, knows his father is perfectly capable of providing for him. There's nothing as refreshing and freeing as an attitude of surrender. And that is part of being saved daily. 
we surrendered at salvation, we continue to surrender if we're smart, if we want to be sanctified. And let him go to town on our behalf. Falling at his feet and humbly admitting we can't do it on our own. And even that is something to be grateful for. We have so much to be grateful for. And in that process, this is kind of the point of the Spirit to start this lesson. In that process, that lifestyle of giving thanks, lies the progressive sanctification of our hearts and souls. We, we again, get out of the way, allow Him to transform our hearts and souls. It's a beautiful thing. How about being thankful for this on the board? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in Ephesians six seventeen. We have so much to be grateful for, it's amazing that we forget. We forget that He wields the sword in our lives. We take it in. We're here now, right? We read our Bibles. We're taking in the Word, all right? We have to be involved, willingly. But He wields the sword on our behalf. He brings to remembrance things we need to remember at the right time supernaturally when's the last time you thanked god for that we need constant reminders perspective changes attitude adjustments especially on the topic of salvation and sanctification and this is why every believer needs to submit to a pastor teacher in humility every believer whether they realize it or not is another issue but the Spirit often uses the pastor to convey his message at that moment in time even. Without submitting to a man with this God-given gift to teach and lead and shepherd, we will not receive the much-needed reminders of the provisions of God in our lives as on the board. Who doesn't need constant reminders? We forget many of the simplest and greatest provisions of God. Often the greatest ones are the simplest ones. And we just overlook them, right? I, I know that's there, so I'm not even going to give thanks for that anymore. Because I know that's there. But then, if you don't give thanks for that anymore, you're not actually enjoying it. And you're not letting it work in you either. So, we will forget to be thankful and therefore stunt our sanctification and the will of God for our lives without constant reminders. So on the board, we should enjoy and embrace the rod and the staff of our under-shepherd, our faithful pastor teacher. Why? Well, many reasons, but one reason is we need constant reminders about God's goodness that's already in our lives. Imagine if you didn't have a faithful past teacher you were able to submit to, that you trusted and that, that stuck to the Word of God. Imagine if you didn't have that. Where would you be right now? How many things would you be forgetting about? And how many thickets would you be hanging out in and ripping your flesh apart for no reason? Even unaware. Who knows? Constant reminders. And that's the benefit of the rod and the staff. As came out on Sunday as an example, how many of us are thankful that God the Father draws us every day? 
that came out on Sunday as something to be thankful for. But probably something most of us hadn't thought about or thanked God for recently. We need constant reminders to not be familiar with the simplest of things, but instead to daily be thankful to God for His grace and all these different areas of grace, right, that we forget. When's the last time you thank God for drawing you to Him, not just at the first moment of your salvation, but that He saves you daily by drawing you to Him by His Spirit, that His Spirit gets your attention when He needs to, even when you're not looking, right? Even when you're even being stubborn or ignoring Him for a certain time, He knows exactly how to get your attention. When's the last time you thanked God for that? That He's faithful even when you're faithless. When's the last time you thanked the Spirit for praying for you with groanings too deep for words? Remember that scripture? Thank you, Lord, for filling in the gaps in my soul and correcting my weak prayers. Padding them a little bit. Telling God the Father what I really mean. Or what you want me to mean. Like that type of intercession we take for granted. We should be thanking him for, quote unquote, fixing our prayers even. That's how faithful he is. That's how um, on the job he is. Always attentive to our daily needs, our daily um, imperfections. And he steps in. So that's what the Spirit does for us on a daily basis. Do we forget? Do we get familiar? Yes. That's a major disease of the flesh. The F word. Familiarity, right? Just to be clear. It's horrible. It's horrible what we do. It is disgusting how ungrateful we are at times. Just for life itself, even. So thank God for your diligent pastor, teacher, who faithfully reminds you of these good things through the Spirit. Amen? Don't take these things for granted, these provisions from God that aren't guaranteed to any one of us. Here's another vital reminder to be thankful for daily on the board. Our perseverance as believers doesn't depend upon us, but upon Him. Thank God for that, right? Imagine if God says, I'm going to save you, but you have to persevere on your own, or you're out. That would suck, right? Excuse the French. But that would be horrible. But our perseverance depends on Him because it depends on faith, which is a gift from God. Thank God for that. So thank you, Lord, that it doesn't depend on me. I can't do it. Thank you that it doesn't depend on me. I need you to do everything for me. And I'm willing. Please take over my life. That might be a daily prayer, or at least a daily attitude in prayer. I can't do it. Thank you so much that this plan you designed doesn't depend on me. I'm willing, but you know I'm not able. Please do it. Whatever you got to do. And we need to, need to thank him every day for that. Because through the humble process of thanksgiving, our sanctification will flow. Again, just think about that. Through the humble process of thanksgiving, each and every day, 
our sanctification will flow. We'll be getting out of the way. He can grow us. He can transform us into the mind of Christ, right? Into the image of Christ. If we get out of the way with that humble process of thanksgiving. So if you're ever lacking thankfulness, heck, even ask God to be more thankful. Ask God for more faith, right? And go read a chapter like Ephesians 2, for example. See the goodness of God's grace in your life. Be reminded of the goodness of God's grace in your life. What He's freely done for you in Christ. Again, the point of the Spirit is that thanksgiving plays a major role in our sanctification and in the will of God for our lives. Don't ever drop that tool in your tool belt. Thanksgiving is a major tool in this process, in this thing called the spiritual life. And it's akin to humility. And only the humble will be grateful, and only the humble can be given more grace by God. And therefore they pro progress in sanctification, his sanctification. Let's recall a thankful perspective we read on Sunday. Go again to Ephesians 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1. <clears throat> if you're tired of hearing about Thanksgiving, maybe you're not being thankful. Maybe something is wrong in your soul. Your attitude is wrong. Ephesians 2.1 And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Did you forget that? You were dead. You were hopeless. You had no chance of living. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What a spectacle that's going to be in heaven. When in the ages to come, in front of all the angels, fallen and elect, he's going to show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness, just pure kindness, right? To the totally undeserving. That's going to be a spectacle. And that's what's going to bring God the most glory. His glory is His grace, right? So that in verse 7, in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works. Thank God. There's another thing to thank God for. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. Notice that. We are His workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him, in them. But we're his workmanship. Thank God for that. A main point from the Spirit on Sunday is that God has a purpose for us, a mission for each one of us in this life. In other words, he didn't save us for nothing. He didn't save us just to save us. He saved us to produce something good in us and through us, as weak and as feeble as we are in the flesh. There's always a further purpose for the life of those that the Lord draws and saves. There's always a further purpose. In other words, there's always fruit, right? If God's going to plant a tree and it's God's tree, it's going to have fruit. So we all, we all have a purpose, right? If you're still breathing and God hasn't taken you yet, what else are you going to conclude? God doesn't do things in vain, of course. So on the board, if you're still alive, and if you hear my verse, voice right now, you're still alive, no matter how you feel, then by the grace of God, he has a purpose and a mission for your life to fulfill. And it's unique to you. It's unique to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. We'll go there in a minute. But if you're still alive, you have a purpose. By grace, something to walk in. And it's unique to you. It's something that you might need to think about and take courage in. The point on the board. And as we've seen in the past, there are infinite varieties of ministries in 1 Corinthians 12, 5. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. First Corinthians twelve four. Again, if you're still alive by the grace of God, then he has a purpose and a mission for your life, and it's unique to you. First Corinthians twelve four through seven. Now there are a variety there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. You see how God's almost digging down deeper? Like there's only, only so many gifts mentioned in the Bible, right? If we went to a few different chapters, we could list all the different spiritual gifts that God has for people. Okay. But then there's a variety of ministries. In other words, those gifts can operate in a multitude of ministries under each category, under each gift. And then he digs down even deeper. In verse 6, there are varieties of effects. Talk about infinite. Talk about unique to each one of us, the way that we're to reach out. And in verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, for example, aren't we all called to um, the same Great Commission? The same, right? Just like the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God in, in 1 Corinthians 12. We're all called to the same mission. Big, overarching, big picture, right? The Great Commission. We're all called to that. 
But how you pursue it in your life is unique to you. Even slightly different, even if it's only slightly different from the person next to you, it is unique to you. But we're all called to the same purpose, same overarching purpose. So let that encourage you. Let's continue our review. Go to Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. We spent a lot of time here on Sunday. We're going to do um, a little review on a few verses here again. Verse 12, So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. As we've seen, God has given us something to work out, and it's related to salvation. And as Pastor said on Sunday, the Bible speaks so commonly of salvation as an ongoing event, not a one-time event. And this is a great example in this passage. This emphasis from the Spirit has come to us in multiple ways. On Sunday, we received a supportive message from a man of God named A.W. Tozer on the board. He said in, in this book, The Pursuit of God, How tragic that we, in this dark day, have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ a term, incidentally, which is not found in the Bible. And we are not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to our spirit. We have been snared in the coils of a false logic, which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. And this has been and is being promoted in many Christian churches, by the way, right now. Many watered-down Christian churches. He goes on to say, This is set before us as the last word in orthodoxy, and it is taken for granted that no Bible-taught Christian ever believed otherwise. Thus, the whole testimony of the worshiping, seeking, singing church on that subject is crisply set aside. In other words, Part of a man being saved is getting to know the God who saved him. How silly would it be for a person to get saved? They just get to know God. They just learn about who Jesus really is. And they they humble themselves before him and they trust in him and are saved. And then to not get to know him? The one who just pulled you out of the pit for good? Foolish, but that's what a lot of Christian churches are saying. We're supposed to seek and crave to know him and his love more and more. And that's one of the wonderful results in us as part of saving faith. Because God changes the heart of a person, of a believer. How can that not be there if God changes the heart of that person? So to think of the day of our salvation as an end And not a beginning is to believe a lie. That's been the major point coming out regarding that. God has a journey for us to take. And that's why salvation and sanctification are vitally linked together forever. 
we might say sanctification is the continuance of our very salvation. It's our salvation alive and active. Just think about that. Try to picture it like that. Our salvation is alive and active. It's not something done in the past and just sitting there to collect dust. It's an alive and active thing whose intent should be to get to know this God that saved us more and more in awe and in thanksgiving. When a person is born again through a repentant faith in Christ, he's brought into a new life. And that is the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. That's the life you now possess if you're a believer. The resurrection life of Christ. And as the Spirit's been telling us, this new life is meant to be lived out. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Why, why didn't God just save us when we finally surrendered to Him in faith? Why didn't He just save us and take us straight to heaven? You're like, oh, I wish that how it was, right? I hear you. Life in the devil's world is not easy. But doesn't that, isn't that the proof that He has a purpose for us? If we're still here? That He has a, a divinely good purpose that that even can impact eternity, our eternity and others' eternity? That's the truth of the situation. So we have a new life to live out, the resurrection life of Christ, to show people, to be a light in the world, to people that don't see yet, to be an obvious, supernat- uh, an obvious carrier of the supernatural, This light that they don't see anywhere else, you know? Even if you're a little tiny light. (laughs) Your light is different than all the other types of light in the world. And that's what he wants us to walk in and allow people to see. Get out of the way. Live a life of thanksgiving. And let people just notice it. You don't have to uh, purposely try to get people to notice you. You live the life. They will notice. But that entails certain things, like Thanksgiving. So we saw on Sunday, the Bible teaches that right now we have eternal life, and we're supposed to live in it. So let's just go for a quick reminder to a couple verses. Go to John 3.15. Right now, if you're a believer, if you've surrendered in faith to Christ... You have eternal life. You possess it right now to live in. It's the the gratitude for that, for eternal life every day that should be waking us up every morning and, and, and our reason for pursuing Him constantly. John 3.15 So that whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. Present tense. That means he, the believer, presently possesses it, eternal life. So if we're alive on earth, we're still alive, there must be something we are to do with this eternal life. Look at John 4.14. John 4.14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him 
a well of water springing up to eternal life. I see a process there, a habitual thing. Will become in him. There's a growth there. There's a sanctification there. Will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And there's another truth to be thankful for daily. Uh, Go back to Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13. These are all things that we're to be actively thankful for on a daily basis. And that can be the, the very source of our energy and our peace. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We saw this also the last couple lessons. When it says God is at work in you, it's from the Greek energeo, means to energize. It is God who is even energizing you. And this was akin to electricity traveling through a dead wire to give light to a dead light bulb. What good is a wire and a a light bulb without power? When we lose power in a hurricane, what good is that great invention sitting on your table, that lamp? Zero, right? But God (laughs) provides the energy. What good is a clay pot that's empty and can't hold any water? But we just saw in John 14, you're going to become um, a well of water springing up in you. Only by God's energy. So we thank God that it is He, in this verse, who provides the energy for us. It's not our own. When's the last time you thanked God for that? Again, what if God said to you, you have to produce the energy? You have to strive. You have to accomplish this thing on your own. I've given you the truth. You've got to do it. What if God said that? That would be horrible. So when's the last time you thank God that He provides even the energy? Our own spiritual energy doesn't even exist, if you think about it, except if coming from the influence of demons in this world. So we thank God for everything that is true and genuine, including like, a true spiritual life through His Holy Spirit, through Christ. On the board we saw Romans 9.23. For He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory. God fills us with His life, His light, even though we were empty, dead, vessels. And I read another passage on this same idea this morning that gives us this visual. So hold your thumb in in Philippians 2. You know how to do that now from Sunday, right? Hold your thumb and go to 2 Corinthians 4, 5. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. And don't hold your thumb like Big Jim. Big Jim's sister and he does this if you didn't know. Second Corinthians 4, 5. 
For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. There's a passage to read over and over. There's so much in there. But the light has shone, shined in our hearts through Christ. It's a supernatural thing. Even though we were just earthen vessels, He's put a treasure in us. Imagine a light as bright as the sun bursting forth out of a small cracked clay pot. That's how extreme it is, how supernatural it is. And that's what is in us. It's the Spirit of Christ Himself. In us. Disgusting, broken, cracked, useless clay pots. That's a picture of the light of Christ that bursts forth from a believer. And remember, it happens over time. Sanctification, right? It happens over time. God knows our weakness. But that's a picture of the reality of the new life that He has given us, eternal life, and the very light of Christ in earthen vessels of mercy. So we started our message today with how sanctification works, if we could possibly find out how or what Scripture does reveal. And on Sunday, the Spirit brought us to a good place to start. So go back to Philippians 2.14. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Amen. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We would be and we would do so much better. We'd be so much happier in life if we just closed our mouths and stopped complaining about little things. If you go to India or any place like that, and the funny, I was talking to somebody about this today. This is so funny. You want to complain about something and the person right next to you doesn't have a change of clothes or doesn't have clean water and you want to complain about your toe hurts and the shoe is the shoe's not perfect and they don't have any shoes. You literally close your mouth in that situation because you're embarrassed to even complain like you usually do because of who's with you. It's all perspective. And if we just close our mouths, do all things without grumbling or disputing, our lives would go so much easier. And you know what's funny? We get out of the way and we do the work of God more efficiently. Sanctification would flow, right? Being thankful instead of being ungrateful. It would just start flowing through us. Look at verse uh, 14 again. Let's read through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach. You know what that implies? That implies that if you don't do all things without grumbling or disputing, if you do grumble, it implies that you're not going to prove yourselves blameless and innocent to other people that are watching. You're not going to be good lights to the world. Amen? Who knows you as a Christian and they know you as a grumbler? Well, guess what? That's getting in the way of them seeing the light of Christ in you. 
So anyway, verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in, this mi- in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. On the board, the Lord is our life, Colossians 3, 4. And he's our living hope, 1 Peter 1, 3. And therefore, he's our very reason for living. If we embrace that perspective in this way on the board, you're going to be free. You're going to be, you're going to be sanctified that much sooner because you're going to allow him to sanctify. You're going to get out of the way and allow you know, sanctification to flow again. Being thankful, being grateful, being like, oh, that's what life's all about. He's what life's all about. Taking our eyes off of stuff and things that we think we need to satisfy us and saying he is it. He is eternal life. And that's, that's where we, we, we receive the blessings. That's where we start seeing um, his peace in our lives. But we have to accept that. We have to embrace that. The Lord is our life and our living hope and our very reason for living. He's the reason we're still alive, period. So what are you going to do with it? Disobey or obey? On the board, 1 Peter 1, 3 in the Amplified. Blessed, gratefully praised and adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant and boundless mercy has caused us to be born again. I love that phrase. He has caused us to be born again. Have you thanked God for that lately? That he caused you to be saved. That is to be reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose to an ever-living hope and confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ever-living hope we have. Confident assurance. Why? Because he rose from the dead to prove eternal life is real. And it's that very life he gave to you as a gift. What are we doing when we're not grateful? If he is so perfectly faithful, which he is, and gives us eternal hope like this, what should our attitude be? Put it this way, another way on the board. If he is our ever-living hope, shouldn't we be ever thanking him? In other words, if eternal life never runs out, if it's constant and guaranteed by God to be forever, then how can we ever stop thanking him? Is there ever, is there ever cause to doubt or, or to not thank him? Is it ever going to um, be interrupted? No, he's an ever-living hope. So how can we not be ever thankful? Present tense, right? Jesus is alive right now praying for us. And so we believers are alive right now, and we are to live in him, knowing he's praying for us, thanking him for praying for us, actively. He's our ever-living hope that's constant and forever, and it won't let us go. We saw that before, right? The perfect shepherd. How are we ever not thankful? Because we get selfish, we get wrapped up in the flesh, and we look at the things in the world, and we look at our enemies who are prospering, which came out on Sunday, and say, huh, we kind of stupidly, right, 
was like, huh, that doesn't look fair. Or I think that would make me happy. Why isn't God giving me that? We put our eyes on the wrong things instead of being thankful for the reality that, we, that we've been saved from sin and death. On the board, this is why we are to be constantly thankful because life is happening right now only by His grace being alive and active in your life. Right now you're alive and breathing by His grace. And His grace is alive and active. It's keeping you saved. It's keeping you alive right now. How are we not constantly thankful? Because we take it for granted. Because we think we deserve it. Because we think we're strong on our own. I don't know, when you go lift weights for two weeks, you feel stronger, so you get big head. You're in good shape right now, so you think it's of you. Just a couple of examples, but isn't that what we do when, when things are going well in our life? We start to forget about God and take a little credit of our own and think it's of ourselves in some way. So again, this is why we're to be constantly thankful. Life is an active, happening thing right now. And it's only by His grace that we're still even alive. The Spirit gave us another emphasis on Sunday as we begin to close. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things so that. Do here is in the Greek present tense, active voice, imperative mood. It's a constant thing. It's a habitual thing to do. Active voice means it's on us. We're the ones told to do it with our own volition. And imperative mood means it's a command. Do all things so that. We read in verse 15, we can be lights in the world. Our light isn't like covered by our grumbling. So we have that phrase, so that, which implies an intended result of doing. The emphasis that came out is that God has plans for you. God has plans for you to walk in. Remember Ephesians 2.10? His workmanship, where His workmanship, He created good works for us to walk in. He created the good works. They're already there. A, B, C, D. He wants you to walk through them. Almost like, excuse the, you know, quick analogy, but a game board. Monopoly. You, uh, this is the path I want you to walk. I'm going to put hotels in these properties. You pick them up on the way. He literally laid out the good works for us, whatever they are. He literally wants us to obey and walk through them on his path that he's already laid out. The works that he's already prepared. So God has plans for you. Back to the beginning of our lesson. And the thing that's really come out on Sunday also is that there are huge blessings for those who follow his plans as he reveals them to us daily. It's a daily, it's a daily walk, right? A daily Thanksgiving, a daily prayer life to show me wh what path you want me to walk in. But the person that does that, there's huge blessings in store. I mean, things that, that I, can't even, I can't even describe to you right now. I have no idea what they are. They're much bigger than I could even imagine, than you could even imagine. But that takes that thing called faith, and therefore, on the board, obedience. Are you going to believe that God's blessings are way better than your blessings? 
The flesh doesn't agree with that. The flesh doesn't see it, so it can't go by faith, you know? It wants to see it. Prove it to me. So we think our own blessings are, are really blessings, which many times they're not, as we've seen. Let's review a few of these wonderful conditional blessings on the board that are granted to the obedient as we close. We only got a couple of minutes, so go to Exodus 23, 22. Exodus 23, 22. These are blessings granted to the one who is obedient. And God, as our Father, wants to give us everything, but our free will is involved. And he's looking for faith. Look at Exodus 23, 22. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say. See those two conditions? Truly obey his voice and do all that I say. Then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. I loved reading that verse on Sunday. What a verse. What a promise. You mean you, Lord of the universe, will be an enemy to my enemies? For me, you'll take care of them only as you know how the best. What an awesome promise that is. And it's God saying, if you follow me wholeheartedly, I have your back and I'll even befuddle your enemies. That's right. I said befuddle. And I said it for a reason. If you follow God, if you obey his voice and do what he says, he promises to be an enemy to your enemies. I say befuddle your enemies because I think of when an enemy knows he has you and poof, everything just collapses. It falls through. And your enemy is befuddled. That's the best word I could think of. Totally confused. I think of <laughs> Wiley Coyote being convinced that he had the roadrunner this time. Convinced. And when everything blew up in his face, it just was a total surprise. This is us with our enemies in the kingdom of darkness, guys. I mean, people are going to come against us in different ways. Sometimes you don't even know they're coming against you, and God does something about it. Sometimes you do, and your enemy's like, befuddled. What the heck just happened? That makes no sense. I had them right there in my grasp. God has your back if we obey. So let's close with one more verse in Romans 12, 19. This, this verse, Exodus 23, made me think of Romans 12, 19 through 21. Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So on the board regarding this verse in Romans 12, 19 through 21, in so doing, 
includes living out life by faith in his love, which even includes feeding your enemies. And this allows God to act on your behalf as he deems necessary. Vengeance belongs to him alone. And he has our backs when we truly obey his voice. As in Exodus 23, 22. He blesses and protects the ones who obey him. And you couldn't have a better bodyguard than him. The all-powerful, all-knowing one is on the side of those who love him and keep his commands. It's pretty clear, right? Pretty straightforward promise. Pretty straightforward conditions. Do all things so that. And again on the board, in so doing includes living out life by faith in his love, which even includes feeding your enemies. And this obedience, in other words, allows God to act on your behalf as he deems necessary at the perfect timing for the dynamite to explode in their face. As he deems necessary, he'll take care of it. Vengeance belongs to him alone, and he has our backs when we truly obey his voice. Amen? All right. Thank God for that. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much. You're such an awesome God. You have everything in control. And help us to trust your timing more and more. And help us not to judge by what we see, but to walk by faith in your awesome promises. And we thank you for promising to bless us as we obey you. And we just rely on you to cover our backs and to even take vengeance when, when needed. But our role, Father, is to obey you and to live in your grace and love and show others your light. And Father, for that, we can't do it. We need your help. And we just ask for more of your help and more of your faith this evening as we go out into this lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.